You're listening to Scalay Sisters, episode number 45. Welcome to Scalay Sisters, the podcast for the classical homeschooling mama who seeks to learn and grow while she's helping her children learn and grow. Scalay Sisters is a casual conversation about topics that matter to those of us in the trenches of classical homeschooling who yearn for something more than just checking boxes and getting it all done. I'm your host, Brandi Venzel. You can find me at Afterthoughts, that's my main blog, and also teaching reading with Bob Books, which is where I keep my line of printable phonics lessons. You can hear more from me on my other podcast, Aftercast. My co-host today is Misty Winkler. Misty is a second-generation homeschooler with five kids and too many projects. She writes about practical classical homeschooling and organizing attitudes at Simply Convivial. This episode is sponsored by Start Here. Are you overwhelmed by the fact that Charlotte Mason wrote thousands of pages? That's why I developed Start Here. When Charlotte Mason was trying to distill her educational philosophy into its simplest form, she ended up with 20 core principles, the 20 most important aspects of her philosophy. Using Susan Schaefer Macaulay's wonderful book for the children's sake, Charlotte Mason's volumes, articles from Miss Mason's magazine, The Parents Review, the best blog posts on these subjects, and discussion questions meant to help you dig deeply, Start Here is a comprehensive guide to the big ideas governing Charlotte Mason's philosophy. It's fit for individual or group study. More importantly, it's the perfect place to start with Charlotte Mason. Just head on over to afterthoughtsblog.net slash start here and use the discount code SISTERS to get 15% off at checkout. If you've ever smelled smoke at your house and wondered if you were starting to burn out at this homeschooling thing, this episode is for you. Misty and I talk a bit about homeschool minimalism and why sometimes adding something is a better approach. And so without further ado, let's get to it. Well, let's start off with our Scalay every day. I'm looking at our notes, Misty. 2KYOCP. You, you have yes. to tell me what you are it's talking code. about. code. <laughs> like, this is not fair. You have a secret Scalay. <laughs> it's because the book title is so long and it's pre-reading or it's, it's co-reading, post-reading. Mm. So on our lesson plans, this is our abbreviation. Wow. It's (laughs) 2,000 years of Christ's power. It's what my high schooler is using for history this year. Okay. Wow. I would not have. I know. (laughs) It looks weird. (laughs) It's 2K for 2,000. Okay. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) So it's church history, and it's in four volumes. I assume that it is going to be five volumes because it ends in the 1800s, which is a little bit short of 2000, the 2000 Mm. years promised by the title. (laughs) But the last (laughs) volume was just released last year. So I guess it's still in process. So it's by Nick Needham. And and the first book was out in like 98 or something when I was in high school. So I remember hearing about it when it came out 
And it popped up onto my radar last year when I was trying to figure out what to do for my high schooler for his last year in our homeschool. And um, I didn't necessarily... You should just end that with neater, neater. (laughs) (laughs) I felt you rubbing it in. You might as well just say it. (laughs) Well, I will still have four more to go through. So... But still, some of us have to teach physics next year, so we're feeling a little bitter over here. <laughs> I'm doing physics this year. Oh, are you? <laughs> All right, overachiever. That's fine. <laughs> Without a lab, does it count? Mm, in some states. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to let the community college worry about labs. <laughs> there you go. You're smart. Yeah, so we are both reading through. We just started the second volume last week. Well, Hans started it last week. I started it this morning. (laughs) (laughs) Better late than never. So to keep us accountable, we are doing a history luncheon twice a term. So week three and week six, my friend down the street, her high school daughter is also following the same reading schedule. So my friend and her daughter come down and it's me and my son. And then we thought that maybe Hans needed a, a male buddy for the lunch. So my husband is also joining us since he works from home. So he comes up for these lunches. And so all three of us were actually finishing up the reading today. And we only have one copy of this series. So oh, it was no. a little bit dicey. <laughs> but we made it. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> and so yeah, then we have a, several weeks then that we discuss all at once. But just touching on what struck us, and we just are in the East-West Schism right now. So, oh, interesting, fascinating stuff in the rise of Islam and the Charlemagne. There's a whole chapter on Charlemagne and the Holy Roman em- Empire, and you know the state, the relation between state and church at that time, and the shifts happening in Europe. Hmm. So, I picked it because I wanted an something more like an overview because my oldest has done several history cycles now and did modern last year. So with just one year, not another cycle left, I wanted something that was more of an overview or a specialized look at something. And so church history seemed like a good good one to do. And we've been enjoying it. That's really neat. I'm looking at it on Amazon right now. Yeah, every chapter ends with several pages of primary source documents. So oh, it's really good because cool. we get the overview and the introduction to the major players and a summary of what they taught or believed and what was going on. But then the last section is a selection. Like there were in these chapters, there was uh, bits from the Quran and some of the responses of um, John of Damascus to mm-hmm. Muslims at the time in the Eastern Church. So just some really good selections and very well put. Because so, I was trying to figure it out. I, it looks like the author actually translated these selections Oh wow! Uh, in the back. And I'm sure part of that was copyright, copyright. issues, <laughs> but it, they're very readable. So that helps. They, they aren't really a struggle to read. You get personality pops out of them. Well, that's fun. Hmm. Well, my Scalay every day 
is, and you would love this book, Misty. It's Atomic Habits by James Clear. Yes. It's on my bookshelf. I haven't is picked it, really? it up yet. Are you actually reading it? Like you've started I am. it? Oh. I am. I wasn't going to at first, but then at the very beginning of this session of Charlotte Mason Bootcamp, I had a number of people mention that they felt like their weakness was habits. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I've already pre-ordered James Clear's book. So I'll have to crack it open when it comes. And then it came. And that very day, we had someone else asking about habits. And I was just thinking, I mean, I always send people to you because I always say you're the James Clear of homeschooling anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Score! <laughs> <laughs> but I thought maybe I should sound informed during the time <laughs> during the answer session. So... I really, I really like him, but I thought I'd share one thing that, cause I mean, you know, being a Charlotte Mason person, I've done a lot of reading on habits over the years, but there was this one thing that I read last night that I just thought was fascinating. So I thought I'd read it just cause it was yes. so interesting. I'm not going to read the whole thing cause it would be too long, but he talks about during the Vietnam war, Someone went and visited our soldiers and discovered that about 15% of them had become heroin addicts while they were there. It was just way easier to get drugs there than it was here. Right. So then they did a study. And at that point, they found out that 35% of their soldiers in Vietnam had tried heroin and up to 20% were actually addicted. So it was even worse than they initially thought. So here's where it gets interesting, though. They followed them up. After they came home Mm -hmm. and they found that when soldiers who had been heroin users, and now I'm reading, returned home, only 5% of them became re-addicted within a year and just 12% relapsed within three years. Anyway, he goes on to say, you know, we think of heroin addiction as this horrible thing that can't be broken. And yet they were able to break it almost entirely in most of these guys by just changing their location in a dramatic way. Yeah. All their triggers were their environment in Vietnam. They had a dealer and all their friends were doing it and it was easy to get and they knew where to get it. And they, I mean, so you take all of that stressful job and a completely different living style. Right. Yeah. Right. So it was just so interesting to me because then I was thinking about homeschooling and I had this distinct memory of, I always call this like our worst year of homeschooling ever, but I just had this time this year early on that was really super hard for us. My husband was in a recovery year from a severe illness and I still had three really little kids Mm -hmm. (laughs) in addition to my second grader that I was trying to do homeschool with. I remember trying to break what I called their bad day habit. And it was specifically my two older ones and how they would, I don't know, just how their little drama would play out between them. And I don't know I mean, changing for me, changing location might have been completely overwhelming because it was still that stage in the game where it takes you half an hour to get everybody buckled into the car. (laughs) But at the same time, I was thinking, oh, that would have been interesting to have tried when I'm trying to break their bad day habit to make their morning because really it was bad morning because everybody still took a nap at that point, except for my oldest. But to have like removed them from the place where they were always fighting. I think would have been oh. interesting so to have because my, my mom would have let me come to her house or something. You know, I mean, I did have places I could have gone and taken everybody if I could have gotten it together to get everybody into the car, which is <laughs> doubtful. But still, <laughs> I was thinking about that. You know, that's one of the things I don't go to first. Yeah. Maybe we should change our location. So he even talks in the book, the part that I just read last night 
about, you know, oh, you have a small space and you can't move, right? So what do you do? And he even talked about things like rearranging all your furniture. So you're trying to have a fresh start, change the room. Interesting. Yeah, I thought so. I know I've seen, I've read articles of his too, where he talks about how much the environment affects our habits. So that makes sense. Yeah. And it does make sense because how many people do you find their homeschool's doing fine? Then they move houses and oh, they say, that's so hard. just don't have any habits. And they yeah. think it's from, you know, the two weeks of moving where they like didn't practice their habits. Right. But it's actually your triggers yeah. are all different. It's a completely exactly. different situation. You have to kind of relearn yeah. everything. Yeah. I mean, that's how I felt, right? My husband got a new job. So he comes home at a different time. He leaves at a different time. All, like all my triggers are off because yeah. apparently I can only make dinner for someone who comes home at 5.15 in the evening. So I am to learn. True. <laughs> I, I have had a hard time with that ever since my husband's worked from home and it's been like six years. <laughs> so yeah, isn't that weird? And he has hours, like he's done at a certain time. So, it, but, right. but just that that change, that shift in mentality between, oh, he's coming home. Everything should be like, put together then. Right. And then and he's just kind of always around. So there's not really that same kind of cue. Yeah. All right. Well, we should probably move on to our topical discussion, which I think we're calling this need more delay. Just add joy. I liked your blog post with that title. Oh, thank you. I, I was really preaching to my, to myself. <laughs> That's the way all the best blog posts come about, isn't it? <laughs> I have people that are like, were you spying on me? And I was like, oh, no, it's just, it's equally bad at my house. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I got weary early this year. um, And I really do think it was just, we had this life change with my husband getting a new job. I went into it knowing that I was going to have to do habits. So for like two weeks, I was really focused on habits. But then we had the Scalastus retreat and then I got sick. And Mm -hmm. I was sick. I mean, it was really four weeks before I had my energy back. And so in the meantime, my children decided they were all about four and a half years old. (laughs) Um, And so it's just been, I don't know. I mean, I've been well for two weeks, but I, it's just felt like a fight. Like it was just uphill battle. Every day is an uphill battle for me to like rein everybody in and get everything done. And, and so I just felt like, ugh. Nothing feels like Scalay anymore, and I don't have time for Scalay at night because I'm so tired. And so I think, actually, for me, it was when you and I were discussing the intellectual life and those four kinds of reading. Mm-hmm. That for me, the light bulb went on of, I feel like the day is really wearing me out, and yet I'm really not taking joy in all of this. And part of it is just me. It's an attitude problem, right? <laughs> Because it's not like there weren't things that I could take joy in, but some of the things I take joy in weren't back yet. For example, singing, because I had lost my voice and I don't sing on a hoarse voice. So we had cut some of that kind of stuff. I wasn't reading aloud because I would start coughing. Mm -hmm. So it was like, (laughs) what we were left with was like Latin. Just get the work done stuff. Yeah. It was like all the box checking type stuff, which I mean, I love Latin, but still it just wasn't, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we read Sertelange and he starts talking about reading to relax, but he talks about that not being like a page turner escapist novel, 
but reading for joy. And I had this aha moment. That's what's wrong. I'm not doing anything just for the joy of it. I'm just trying to get everything done. And I'm just being crushed by the weariness of pursuing the checking the box thing. Yeah. Interesting. So this isn't on here, but can I surprise you with the question? Yeah. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> you know how well I think on my feet. <laughs> I enjoy doing this. Too. <laughs> I had this epiphany of like wondering how, and I know you've been reading Peeper and his Leisure the Basis of Culture because you've been doing your paraphrase. But I'm wondering how something like what Sertelange said about joy and reading for joy and joy being restoration, restorative or recreative or whatever, because I did learn to say the word recreative after you taught me. Um, <laughs> Boy, that was right. I was just picking it up. <laughs> <laughs> it sounded so good, though. Um, but I'm wondering how that relates to what he says about festival. Yeah, that's what I was just... You said people. I was like, well, it's kind of like festival. And the thing about festival and leisure that has always struck me is that there's a lot of work that goes into having a festival. So I really struggled with that for a long time. Like, how do rest and festival or Sabbath, you know, stopping work, how can they go together? Or, you know, making the Sabbath like the best day of the week. Parties and holidays and all of that take a lot of work. So how can they go together with lack of work, with rest from work, right? Yeah. It seemed like this oxymoron thing that basically only men were addressing. (laughs) And so it's like, you don't get it. (laughs) It's a lot of work to make all this food. (laughs) It's not what you're, and it's not what they are doing all day either, right? But the the things are like, oh, well, that's just the like upkeep work. I'm like, well, but upkeep work is primarily what I do all day. So right. do I just not like that? It's almost like either that doesn't count as work. You can do the upkeep work on Sunday because that's not really work. It's like, well, that's just devaluing the work I do all week because that is the work that I do all week. <laughs> or, you know, it's saying, well, some people don't get a break. Which I think a lot of moms feel a lot of the time. Yeah. I especially felt that way when I had my third. I was like, I don't know. I'm sure if you have enough children, there's another number that's really hard. I feel like a lot of people I talked to, number three was the one where they were like, I'm going to die. Yep. And my number three was actually my easiest baby. I'm sure it's harder if you have like a colicky number three. But I mean, just adding even the easiest baby I ever had was Mm -hmm. something that I felt like... Well, I felt like if I sat down, I would be behind for the rest of my entire life. (laughs) It really was. I was just this walking circus act of like, I'm juggling all these balls. And if I drop one, I will never be able to get them all in the air again. You know? (laughs) Well, and at that point for a lot of us, at number three, everyone is still basically helpless. Like the five-year-old seems like, oh, the five-year-old is super helpful. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And now my youngest is five. And I'm like, well, she can't do anything. (laughs) (laughs) That doesn't count as helpful, but relatively, the five-year-old was super helpful. Could run upstairs and grab a diaper. (laughs) Right. It's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's so true. I think that we're missing a category. Mm. 
And that that's really what scole or teaching from rest or any of these terms that are really, you know, catching on. It's because they, I think, are identifying a need that we know we have, but we haven't been able to clearly express. And we're still struggling to express. And it's how this abundant, living, joyful life isn't just a maxed out, stressed out life. What we want to do for our kids and give our kids and the family atmosphere that we want and the education that we want takes a lot of work. And yet we know we need rest. And how do these things go together? It just doesn't seem like they fit. Yeah. But we know that somehow they need to, because otherwise we're just not going to make it. Yeah. So we said just add joy. And I was reflecting on this time of weariness that we had. And like I said, we had cut a lot of things out. So we were doing less and I was feeling more weary than ever, which of course, some of it was just lack of energy from being sick. I mean, that's reality, right? So that's just something to muddle through until it comes back, (laughs) hoping that it comes back. (laughs) But I was thinking, I don't know, something in what you said, and I'm not sure what it was now, but like made me think about how there is a time to cut back. And there is a reality of people doing too much. Like, I don't want to ignore that we've had times where we've completely overscheduled our lives to the point where nothing fits anymore. But looking at my personal situation, when I, you know, started to kind of Google around and see like, what is the advice people are giving when things are weary? It was constantly cut back, cut back, cut back. The only possible thing that could be wrong here is that you're doing Mm -hmm. too much. And I was like, I'm tired. And yes, I do lack energy. But in my case, I I was not really doing too much. That was not the root issue. The root issue was that there was no joy. Anyway, I, I guess what I'm thinking is I, I'm I'm thinking that this is a perspective on burnout that isn't talked about very much, which is the idea that adding something can be what mm-hmm. we need. Yeah. Because it sounds like just more, like it reminds me of when we talk about mother culture and how the, when we talk about our like personal reading, like what I talked about for the learning well retreat and the idea that that feels like you're adding more. Actually, it's kind of like putting money into a savings account where long term there's mm-hmm. this huge benefit. And even that, you know, think of like a growth spurt in a baby where there's growth coming, but before, maybe even before you notice what's going on, you know, there's less sleep, there's more eating, there's more fussiness, or, you know, a maturity leap usually starts with some like a maturity backsliding (laughs) issues. So you're saying that it is logical that I was throwing a temper tantrum in my kitchen floor (laughs) right before things got better. (laughs) Maybe so. (laughs) Well, I think, you know, we can see those situations and see that something's about to come and something's about to happen. So we can take hope and move forward and not say, well, there's something about this here right now that has to be fixed. Like this is just the process of growing and developing and being stretched. I mean, that's kind of how I'm thinking about it this mm-hmm. year with our year because it is so much more busy and scheduled than a year we've ever yeah. had. And so that common advice to well cut back. I was like, well, we could. We don't have to be doing speech. My teen could wait to do driver's ed. 
I could have postponed everyone's eye doctor appointment and orthodontist appointments, <laughs> but it was that wouldn't be the right choice, actually. And it's not like it's impossible. It just means I need to step up in a different way to reprioritize different things and to just say, well, this is where I'm being called and placed right now. And it's okay to be tired at the end of the day. Yeah, that right there. I think it's easy for us to feel like if we're totally exhausted at the end of the day, because we experience that as a negative feeling, right? It's a lot like feeling pain. And if I feel pain somewhere in my body, that's a sign that something's wrong. Mm -hmm. So what I hear you saying is like, if I'm totally exhausted at the end of the day, it might not be because something was wrong. It might have been because something was right. Yeah. Hmm. It's kind of like that good tiredness maybe after a workout. Oh, do we have to talk about working out? Um, we don't, we could pretend that we do. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure my, my new yoga habit counts. So (laughs) my kids are like, really? You do yoga after we go to bed at night? And I was like, yeah. What's that like? It's, it's basically glorified stretching. (laughs) It's really not impressive at all. Um, I still think working out is a good analogy. I'm sorry. It's true. (laughs) As I stare at the kettlebells on here that haven't been used for two weeks. (laughs) Uh, But I was thinking, you know, at at the end of the day, there's the weariness that comes from a day that you worked out or did something extra, even if you just got 5,000 more steps than normal because Mm -hmm. you were at a zoo or something. It's not a bad thing you know, you went to the zoo and you had this great day and that's why you're a little bit sore. It's like an after effect of a good thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. One of my children who, I mean, I always have my children remain nameless. So there's nothing new about (laughs) 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 your kids. Yeah. (laughs) My kids don't have names. They just have initials. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was thinking about how one of my children is really rambunctious and yeah, I get, but you can't guess who it is. Um, and so this year we've added quite a bit of things for him because the transition from third grade to fourth, fourth grade is just that it, that's just the nature of it. When you are using something like Ambleside online, basically a Charlotte Mason curriculum. So there is a definite difference between third grade and fourth grade or what they would call form one or form and form two. Typically, I add grammar, I add Shakespeare, I add Plutarch, Latin, and then if I haven't been doing it, I add dictation. So that's a lot more. So on top of what he was already doing, right, he's got all those new things. And he is like the most excited little kid ever right now. (laughs) Granted, he's extremely loud. Excitement is not a state of quietness for this child. <laughs> um, so, but it's been interesting watching him because I kind of felt like in watching him about how I felt about me when I tried to add something to our circle time. That's the article that you said that you liked, right? I wrote about how I added something into circle time just for me, which is actually advice that Pam gives on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. But it was just, it's just a little tiny thing, but it was just something that I could look forward to each day. But I've been watching him and I've been thinking about how 
I mean, he's responded so well to all these additions that it almost made me wonder if his little mind was starving a little bit last year, mm-hmm. like, even though I was giving him good books and I was giving, but I I'm wondering if he needed just more because he is a little bit old for his grade, not much, but I mean, he's on like, he's, he turned 10 the first week of fourth grade. So he's on the old side of fourth grade. And so what I said in that post that I wrote, but something I just continually come back to is that. There is a lot of emphasis right now on minimalism. So declutter your house, declutter your schedule, decl- like there's this, this pursuit of simplicity. And I don't think that's a bad thing. But at the same time, living with him when he was doing less last year was actually more difficult than living with him when he's doing more this year. Yeah. So sometimes the advice to just keep cutting back <laughs> actually backfires if they're hungry for more or if I'm hungry for more. Like when I think about me losing my own joy, I was actually just hungry for something more and something different. Mm -hmm. It goes back to that problem of not having the right categories because our categories tend to be work or things I have to do. And then we have pleasure, which is doing whatever I want to do. Yeah. Those are like the two categories that we have. And the idea of something that's a duty also being a joy, we don't quite have. Mm -hmm. Um, Like fulfilling your duty being a joy, which I think is a timeless category that we just lack in the modern era because we've thrown off duty as a good thing. And then the only kind of happiness or rest or break like that we can imagine or the, our default assumption of what that means is doing whatever I want or something easy. And I think that some of the minimalism ends up being, you know, cut back till it's easy and having the problem being our goal is easy. And that's a bad yeah. goal. Like that's not what the Christian life is about. And that's not the easy life isn't a life of that brings glory to God just quite frankly. (laughs) Well, that's true. But I was even thinking about how if we start from the position of, especially when it comes to children, but I think adults are this way too, that um, if you haven't fed your body, you know, we talk about getting hangry, right? Like there's like people get, get snippy or whatever when they're really hungry, or at least maybe they shouldn't, but I do. So, um, (laughs) so we have a category for that. I think the mind can be that way. That if the mind hasn't been fed, it gets kind of annoyed and kind of bored and kind of rude. Even when I think about myself and then also my child that I was talking about, it might seem easy at the outset to do less. Mm-hmm. But if we're already start, like it'd be like, <laughs> I'm already starving. So I'm going to cut back on my calories more. Right. That's going to actually make the problem worse. In this context, in my home, at least, adding more was actually adding the nutrition that we needed to make the whole day better. So I added this little bit in circle time. As my voice came back, I could go back to reading a lot. The things that I took joy in came back. I'm doing way more. I'm a way happier person (laughs) at this point. I didn't have to work so hard to be content. (laughs) Yeah. And so, I mean, sometimes life is just hard and we just have to muddle through and that's just the way it is. And it's not really going to feel like joy and it's not going to feel like rest and it's not going to whatever. But I guess what I'm thinking is the cutting back can backfire. So if we're just saying, even if we're just saying the goal is easy, 
easy isn't always obvious. Right now that we've added these few things and things are going better is actually easier than three weeks ago when we were hardly doing half days because I was so sick, but that was actually not easy. (laughs) Right, right. Because people had too much free time on their hands. Mm -hmm. The idea of scole, it's not not doing anything. True. Scole is an activity. It's something we do. And it's usually those things that would be what would look obvious to cut. Because it feels so well. extra. Mm-hmm. Because we, we tend to be utilitarian and we, we see the reason to do math or to do science. We have all these external motivations to move forward with those. But scole activities are the things that are done for their own sake and not because they, mo- they advance us on some other ambition yeah. track you know, or personal agenda. So they tend to look like extras because if we're looking at it utilitarian in a utilitarian way, and then they just really don't quite fit in our current categories. So that that puts a little resistance barrier, I think, in front of them that makes it hard for us to prioritize them or to move forward with them or like, well, that's what I chose for rest. But right now I actually feel just like zoning out on the couch. So that's what I'm going to do for rest not realizing that we're, we would feel way more rested if we right. read a hard book. It's counterintuitive because you even have the word hard in there. Yes. <laughs> right. Something that's stretching, right? Something that's focusing us on truth and pursuing truth and pursuing virtue outside of ourselves. That's going to take effort. So scole is not effortlessness. And I think that sometimes we assume mm-hmm. that that's what it means. Once you're in the middle of it, it can feel effortless because you're kind of in the zone. But you never, before you get in the zone, <laughs> there's like a period where it's actually effort to overcome, you know, basically our mental inertia. Yeah. So the goal might be for it to feel effortless, but that's never how it's going to feel at the outset. Well, and maybe the effortlessness actually comes from something becoming a habit. Right. Yeah. Right, like the singing. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, you, I mean, that honestly is why I could never move circle time at this point in the game to a different part of the day. Mm-hmm. Because it's, a- it's so ingrained in our morning habits that I think if I was to say, oh, we're going to do it, we're going to do it later in the morning, or we're going to do it in the afternoon, or we're going to do it at night, that would turn into something that has so much effort. Right. Versus right. I don't even think about it. Like sometimes on Saturdays, I'm tempted to... <laughs> <laughs> to, to do it again. I'm just because I'm just on autopilot if I'm not careful. <laughs> right. You know, right. Well, it's that environment thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Anytime everybody's around the breakfast table, I start wanting to, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you said something about Aristotle here. Hmm. You want to tell me what you're thinking here? Because I, <laughs> I don't actually know what you mean. <laughs> well, Aristotle, the Nicomachean ethics is about the pursuit of happiness. Like all men desire to be happy. Metaphysics, he says, all men desire to know. Hmm. But Aristotle also talks about how, and I didn't pull the quotes exactly, but uh, he talks about how it is normal and ingrained that we desire happiness, that we're working for happiness. So then he has a discussion then on what brings happiness. And this is actually in the context of his habits, which we've talked about before. Okay. 
um, because he says virtue is a habit. But the whole reason he's talking about that is that all of these things are actually going to make us happy. So it seems like, and our, our human default is that pleasure will make us happy, right? Amusement. But that's not actually true. If we look at the people who are truly happy with their life, we will see that it is the people that seek virtue. And then he has reasons for why that is. And so that just seems to, to connect here because, I mean, joy, happiness, rest, like we yeah. want to be satisfied and fulfilled uh, and connected in our life. And a lot of what we do, a lot of what we see as work is actually kind of distracting or fragmenting. It's not really connected to what Peeper, you know, says is worship. That's ultimately, you know, he kind of starts with Aristotle and connects it to the Christian tradition that it's worship of God then that brings actual happiness. So that's why I think morning time with singing and reading scripture is the perfect hmm. example for what not to cut, you know? Good point. That's such a good point. Well, and okay, so now that you put it all that way, I was thinking even when it comes to our personal time, we talk about school A, and I'm thinking specifically of mother culture reading or whatever, that there's a sense in which we pursue those things. It's making, it's improving us in some way. Yeah. It's improving our mind. It's improving our soul. It's, uh, and some other day we're going to debate again about what school A actually means. (laughs) 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 Our ongoing debate about about school A. Um, (laughs) <laughs> but I was just thinking, I see the connection now, but what you were seeing there with Aristotle, happiness comes from virtue. There is a sense in which school A is part of the pursuit of virtue. I wouldn't say it's the sum right. total, but it's definite necessary part because it would be in the time of school A that, for example, your conscience would become an informed conscience, right? Because mm-hmm. the types of reading that we would be doing, and then you're taking joy in something good, Right. And these are all things that are goods in themselves. Right. Which is what Aristotle emphasizes when he talks about scolae. And that's why Piper brings it back to worship as the ultimate good in itself. So say we take math and we can pursue math and be doing the same thing, but in two different ways, Hmm. modes. We can be doing it under the utilitarian model where we're doing this so that we pass the test, so that we can do the next level, so that we can pass the test, so that we can get into college, so that we can get a good job, so that we can balance our checkbook. And those are all true and they are benefits, but that's not that those shouldn't be the sum total of why we're studying math. The scolae mode for studying math would be because it reveals truth, it helps discipline and strengthen our minds. It's good in itself, and it sees it as worthy in itself. And then if we become happy or joyful through learning virtue, like what are the virtues? Well, we got like patience, fortitude, (laughs) prudence. We can't actually have or practice any of those virtues except in adverse conditions. Like how can you have fortitude unless there's something you're supposed to do that you don't want to do? Oh, (laughs) <laughs> I just had this conversation with my kids because I was like, is it really obeying your parents when you agree with them? 
<laughs> right. Hmm. Because I was like, they've been difficult. <laughs> I was like, so you thought you were obeying me all summer, but actually you just agreed with me. <laughs> well, it's easy when it's what we want, right? Obedience is easy when it aligns with what we want. Right. But we are supposed to practice it and believe that good and happiness comes even when it's hard because it's the right thing. Mm -hmm. But because we tend to think of happiness coming from doing what we want, right? that's the way we behave. And so if a kid doesn't want to do math, then what do you do? Right? You have to, like, out goes the math because we only do what we want to do. We only do what feels pleasurable or, you know, what we're into at the time. Mm -hmm. But that's not how virtue is formed. It's like that's an opportunity right there to learn to love what must be done, right? Yeah, such a good point. Well, I was thinking too about this whole Aristotle saying happiness does not really come from pleasure or indulgence, even though we think that it would. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about how when I was really weary, there was that temptation to just sit down and scroll through Facebook and watch everybody mm -hmm. fight each other about politics <laughs> on Facebook, which is... Really awesome. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> That's yeah. Really awesome when you're feeling good. So you can only imagine how it is when you're feeling bad. <laughs> um, but this thinking, oh, this is an easily accessible distraction from how bad I feel right now. And uh -huh. then you actually walk away from that feeling worse. Mm -hmm. Right? Versus what you were saying with like reading the hard book. And then you walk away from that feeling surprisingly better, perhaps. <laughs> so it's kind of like we have to have these eyes to see past the immediate. Right. Yeah, I think like to true. really know how to add joy in our day requires me to take the long view of, you know, it's just like saving money. I could spend this money right now, or I could save it. And then in some other economy, the bank would pay me interest. Mm -hmm. And then... I would actually have more money, right? <laughs> I feel like it's that kind of thing. It's understanding not just this second right now, but the hours and days and years ahead of me. Even with school A, it's like that, right? Right. Well, it reminds me of the verse where Christ, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. Hmm. That's a way bigger picture, but we are supposed to imitate Christ. And so it wasn't making choices based on what was bringing joy in the instant, it was having this bigger eternal goal in mind and doing what it takes to get there. Yeah. Okay. I have two more questions before we get to end. <laughs> <laughs> so my first is, how does joy as a fruit of the spirit tie in with all of this? I mean, to me, it sounds like we have a lot of control over this. So how do those things relate? Or are we just talking about two different kinds of joy? Is it just that there's a joy we can pursue and a joy that we receive or? Well, I think, I think there's two ways that I see joy as the fruit of the spirit connecting. And one is that even when we don't feel like it, it's something that we can pray for. Mm. If we pray to receive the fruits of the spirit, then that's like we're praying for God's will. Good point. I think that helps us shift our focus to the more eternal picture of things instead of 
you know, it's easy for us to get into the the kind of pity party, like what would help me feel better right now? Or, yeah. you know, what would re- be restored if it would be like a day entirely alone? <laughs> I was like, well, that's never going to happen. So I'm never going to be happy. <laughs> Again, a little spiral of doom, or maybe that's just me. But say, so, you no, know, like where you are with what's going on, we're commanded to rejoice. So it's not like this extra add-on sort of thing. And it's not a superficial thing also, because I think a lot of times we we put happiness in that nice but not necessary category. Yeah. And actually, what I'm super interested to research, I've only like tiny dipped my toe in it, but I've grown up you know, in the church hearing that joy and happiness are different things. Hmm. And in the tiny bit that I've researched, I, I don't think that's actually true. Like there's not two. There is pleasure. Like there's a sh- there is shallow happiness. But when the scripture commands us to rejoice, it is talking about our attitude. It is talking about mm. controlling and submitting to God in the way that we feel. Hmm. So it's not a uh, add-on. It it is something that we should be concerned about. It's not like, oh well, I don't like my life, but that's okay. I don't have to. <laughs> It's like that's not fully what we're ca- how we're called to live. Yeah. Well, and uh, to some extent, that absolves us from the need to change something, mm, which is hard work, right? Like if I say I'm not happy here, and that's just the way that it is, then I'm saying there's nothing I can do about it, and I'm not obligated to try to change it. I'm thinking like if I said that in my marriage, right. If I just said, I'm just not happy and it's just going to be this way for the rest of my life. Now, I I mean, for some people, there may be a time where they have to actually become content with something that is difficult or whatever. So I don't want to minimize that. But I'm thinking like, for me, I'm married to a Christian. We probably should figure out how to be happy together most of the time. Mm-hmm. If there's this whole like Christ and the church parallel, then maybe we should try to look, uh, I don't know, remotely like that. <laughs> Right. At least a little. I don't know. You know, if I, I can't think of an area of my life where it would be okay for me to just not, if I didn't like one of my children, if I didn't, I mean, those are serious things. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I have to be really careful with those kinds of things. Because for me, if I was to say that the way I don't like my life, that's just the way that it is. That's actually me not fighting to remedy the situation. Like that's not me being content, I guess is what I'm saying. Right. That's not me saying, well, I can learn to rejoice in this situation. That's me beginning to throw a pity party. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Learn to take joy in your math. We have some, well, we just hit long division. So we have (laughs) the occasion to learn joy (laughs) in adverse circumstances. There you go. (laughs) Okay, so I'm a homeschool mom. I mean, I am a homeschool mom, but I'm a hypothetical homeschool mom. And I am super weary. And you have just told me it's possible to add joy. So what practical steps do I take to try to figure that out? To me, what remembering that joy is a fruit of the spirit does is reminds me that it's something to pray about. Hmm that prayer is the first step. And part of it is being open to 
repentance then. Because if we aren't having joy, then like there's probably something in our life where it's either like holding on to that grumbling spirit. And I, I'm, re- I'm in the middle of numbers right now, reading the book of numbers. <laughs> so it's like, I'm <laughs> right in the thick of God telling people what he thinks about grumblers. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out pretty big problem. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you know, I never thought about reading that to my kids next time they were grumbling, but now. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so there, there are the things like you mentioned where you're adding in the things to the school day that tie us back to truth and goodness and beauty, you know, maybe do add art study and like do it with your kids, not just something to say, okay, now I feel more accomplished because we're doing this thing that other people do, but do it to actually enjoy the art. And so I think even the things that we're already doing, there can be joy there if we approach it with joy, with school A instead of approaching it as something to check off or approaching it as this is something everyone else is doing except me, <laughs> um, yeah. which isn't true. But seeing the value and the beauty of the things in themselves, that's the essence of Scolé. I'm saying, okay, if, mm. if the artist study is valuable to teach my kids, and it's actually valuable for me, and joining our kids as a learner instead of trying to set ourselves up above the kids, like giving this to them, but let ourselves take it as well. I think it's pretty easy to just step. It's really stepping above the level of a student hmm. and kind of administering education. And I think when we get in that super weary mode, actually stepping down and putting ourselves you know, practically at the same level as our kids and accepting education ourselves right alongside of our kids can shift how we see our school day and how we experience our school day and open ourselves up to joy that we didn't even know was there. Like it's the possibility is there already. We're just not open to it. I like that. Seeing possibilities. It's a different attitude than just trying to get everything done. Right. Which is something else to pray about because it's hard to have fresh eyes when you're tired or overwhelmed. For sure. And so sometimes just adding in, you know, maybe a call to a friend or a walk, you know, those kind of things to step outside the environment, maybe Mm -hmm. you were mentioning earlier. Yeah. You know, actually that Mm -hmm. dawns on me that, that dawned on me that we did that one time. I mean, kind of in a different way, but we just had a year where circle time was going really bad. I think at that point to you, I called it the best and worst time of the day (laughs) because it was just not going that well. And I I just remembered that I moved it to the breakfast table. So we had always done it after breakfast, but for many years we moved, and probably because I had toddlers that wanted to play on the floor, I moved it from the breakfast table to the living room. So we were all on couches, but just at some point... I don't think it was the couches, but we just got into these kind of chaotic habits and bad attitudes of blah, blah, blah. But I forgot that one of the things I did was move us to the dining room. So we did actually, as I was trying to fix our circle time, we did actually move locations. Mm. Right. And not because the dining room is absolutely the better place. No. A chain, you know, we need to 
break old habits and change things up. That's why we are actually in the living room this year, as opposed to the dining oh, room. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, we need something different. Uh, yes. We need to not be able to kick people under the table, basically. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> <laughs> Good choice. Good choice. <laughs> oh, look, we got new living room furniture. Everyone can like be somewhere where they can't touch another person. Like, yes. Let's do that. <laughs> You're like spread out, arms like stick your arms out. Can you touch your neighbor? You're not far enough away. <laughs> now let's sing. <laughs> exactly. <sighs> Okay, so my advice, this is going to sound kind of dumb, but you already gave the best advice. So I'm just going to give this little tiny piece of advice that I keep meaning to put on Instagram and haven't. And it's just add organizers. <laughs> okay, so here was my thing with circle time. Circle time used to wear me out. I, I just was worn out and I kept thinking, I like doing this. Why do I feel like I got ran over by a truck by the end of the time that we're done? And I realized I honestly was just expending a lot of energy by not being very well organized. Mm -hmm. And so like some of the circle time stuff was in the library on a shelf and some of it was over here and nobody knew where the pencils were. And so this year I bought an actual like binder organizer. Oh, that was the other thing is I... I had things in, so I moved everything into a buffet and everything's like falling all over the place. And I got to where I would dread opening the buffet door. Like, mm -hmm. how, you know, was there an earthquake last night? How bad is this going to be when I open this up? And so, Daniel, let's blame an earthquake. I would just blame. Yeah, you. seriously. Seriously. <laughs> Couldn't possibly be my lack of skill. Um, so I bought like one of those binder organizer things where, I don't know, have you seen them? They're like, hard wire and you put them in. And anyway, all the things that were falling over are now on top of the buffet in this secure holder where they can't really fall over unless somebody does something that they probably shouldn't have been doing anyway. Nice. Yeah. And everything we need oh, is okay. either, yeah, is either there or on the shelf. And it's so funny because it's so obvious. It's so obvious that this is how things should be. But even like little things, I have a, this dawned on me today. I have this dice that I roll for group narration. And so instead of <laughs> getting out, a, I even own more dice. Instead of getting out another dice for co-op, I'm just constantly chasing this dice all over my house. <laughs> it's the dumbest thing ever. And I, today at co-op, I'm like, I forgot my dice. Haley forgot her dice. We don't have any dice for group narration. And I'm chasing this dice all over my house. Anyway, the whole point is that I realized that, um, I was able to take a lot more joy when I took the time, which seemed like a hassle when I did this, right? Yep. To go through everything and pull everything out of the buffet and make it where it actually worked and not have anything else anywhere else. And I mean, it took me a good hour because it was a mess at this point. You know, we had 10 years of circle time under our belts and I had been doing it in a disorganized manner for a very long time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so It does. And that kind of work feels like a drag before you get started. I mean, I know also because bad. I am, I need to do that right now because mm. I mean, that's why I made our memory work binders. Like I don't even know how many years ago, seven, eight years ago. Yeah. So it was so that everything was grab and go. Yeah. And we need to change things up right now. And 
I was thinking about changing it up in this way, but I couldn't. Anyway, our denomination and another denomination together have published a new hymnal, a joint hymnal, Psalter's mm. hymnal. Yeah. So uh, it's been in the works and said, it, everyone said it was coming and it didn't arrive <laughs> until our year <laughs> had already started. And then we still oh. waited until we got some and, and it turns out that these songs that we've learned over the years, they've changed the wording on some and the Heidelberg, no. the wording's a little bit different. And so then we kind of went through it up and down, like, do we change what we're doing at home to match? And I don't know. So we kind of had a little hemming and hawing and finally bought a bunch of extra hymnals and said, we're just going to go for it. Unity. <laughs> right. Just stick it out. And but that means, for the team. <laughs> that means that our practice is completely different and I don't have it outlined. Like we don't have a habit routine now and I don't have the new numbers. So I can't just say, so uh, it's not, it's not that grab and go. And so there's just this resistance. So most of the time we haven't been doing circle time because it feels like such a headache now. Whereas. Oh, that's so hard. I know it would just take an hour, you know, to to come up with the new form and, and figure out the new flow and write it down so that it's easy to follow. But I feel like I don't have an hour, you know? Right. Which is ridiculous. But that's... You know, I have this pretend life coach. <laughs> she needs to shut up. <laughs> you would like her. <laughs> and I think she would tell you to just put it on your calendar. I think she would tell you to do it during the summer, but I couldn't. So I'm going to wait for a break oh. week, but then that means not doing morning time for half of a term. So that's bad. So, uh. Well, do you have like a bare minimum morning? Because I have this bare minimum morning time that's like scripture reading and a fun book. Yeah. And that's it. Like a chapter or half a chapter if it's long of a fun book. And that's it. That's how I keep us in the just in the habit of being there. That's a good, yeah, we know we don't have that. So I just need to say it's just an hour. Like, get over it. Do it. <laughs> well, if you need a life coach, I'll give you her website. <laughs> <laughs> it's a real big problem when you realize that all you, you actually know the answer to your problems. You just don't do it. That's, that's basically it. Hey, that's why I quit reading parenting books because I was pretty sure I just didn't want to obey. And that, if I could just get that under control, I could, I could be fine. <laughs> I don't need more like, knowledge. I just need more. More doing. More self-control, <laughs> more self-discipline. Right. Which I don't want in the moment, right? Because we want what's easy. Right. So I feel the need to end a little bit with saying, if someone actually is doing too much, they do need to cut back. Right. Like, I don't want to minimize that because, I, but I say this as someone who ha is almost never in danger of doing too much. <laughs> <laughs> so, right. It, it is, uh, it is good advice in certain circumstances. Like it's the right advice sometimes, but right. it's not the right advice every time. Right. Well, and I do think this whole idea of taking joy or adding joy is also a way to get through the time when you have overcommitted because I tend to not overcommit, but it's not like I've never overcommitted in my whole life. 
mostly we can't just then back out of commitments that we've made. Like we have to wait for them to come to a natural end because otherwise we're flaking on people or whatever. Or sometimes we didn't realize it was an overcommitment and we just have to bite the bullet and deal with it. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking this approach also helps for when you actually can't cut back yet. Like you can not sign up for the next season of baseball, but you can't really quit in the middle. Not usually. Right. (laughs) Usually there's other bad things that happen when you do that. So Anyway, I do think it's helpful even if you are overcommitted, but it probably pays for all of us to pay attention to whether, like knowing ourselves well enough to know, did we actually overcommit? Because for me, I just, I just don't. And I think sometimes that's actually my own selfishness. It's actually me trying to do too little, Mm. (laughs) right? So, and I think that's why I'm always a little bit wary of minimalism is because I know myself, like I would love it to be true that I could just organize all the inconveniences out of my life. (laughs) Right? Yep. Isn't that Um, the goal? Right. But just like I really shouldn't wear that shirt that I was telling you about that says I like coffee and maybe three people. Um, (laughs) Like that's not an identity to actually own and grow old in. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Like I really shouldn't embrace that. Like that's funny to me because I, that's kind of my temptation, but that doesn't actually say anything good about me. I don't think so. (laughs) Right. Yep. That's not pursuing truth and goodness and beauty. Yeah. So, I mean, to people who need the, you know, cut back, do less, make sure you're doing the things that are important and not just everything that everybody thinks you should be doing. Because there are those people too. Right. That are like, oh, you homeschool? What do you do all day? Yeah. You know, and encourage you to not do your duty. Like we, if you're a homeschool mom, you have a duty that you're supposed to be doing and it's okay to not answer the phone and not answer the door and ignore everybody because you certainly would expect that if you sent your kids to school. Right. <laughs> like you don't want the teacher talking to the UPS guy when, <laughs> when you're supposed to be learning math or whatever. But I'm just thinking we, we just have to know ourselves and our temptations because because otherwise we might end up giving into them on accident. Yeah. Well, and that's life is sanctification, right? So we have different tendencies and temptations that we each need to push on, lean the other way, lean yeah. against them. Yeah. Well, this was a good topic. I think so. Since you're my life coach, you <laughs> <laughs> life coach needs to take your own <laughs> advice more often. <laughs> <laughs> That's it for today. Thank you so much for listening and being a part of the sisterhood of the podcast. Remember, our show notes can always be found at scalaysisters.com. Just add a slash SS and the episode number. So for example, this episode is number 45. And so the show notes are found at scalaysisters.com slash SS45. In our next episode, Misty, Pam, and I discuss my favorite Christmas story, A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. Sneak preview, they try to ruin it for us, but I won't let them. Subscribe so you don't miss this unique episode. Until then, we want to remind you once again that homeschooling is a marathon you needn't run alone, so open up your eyes and look around you. Find your sisters.
keep telling myself, I'm recovering from last week. I'm recovering from, yeah. and then it's another week. I'm like, wow, I live such a traumatic life. <laughs> this is actually just life, <laughs> right? I have an eight-year-old standing next to me. Oh. <laughs> I'm receiving signs requesting things at my door. <laughs> <laughs> what do they need? Bagels? <laughs> no games, of course. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> they need joy, Misty. Just add joy. <laughs> That's what I think would just add joy. Just add more video games. So. <laughs>